Omajina Tremendasha, Junajina Salakaya, Chakshon Militanyena, Tismai Sri Gurave Namaha, Vajakoptu Vishcha, Kripas Nubivacha, Petitanam Pavane Vyovashnavijan Munamaha, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Narayanam Namaskritya, Naram Chaiva, Narotamam, Devim Sarasvatim Vyasam, Tatodayam Udirayat, Nastapriyeshu Abhyeshu Nicham Bhagavata Sevaya, Bhagavatyuta Mashloke Bhaktir Bhavati Nastiki. So, good evening, everyone. Tonight is our forty-first lecture on the Tattva Sandarbha. Wow. So <laughs> uh, we will have one more class after this, and maybe another. We've come to the end of the Tattva Sandarbha now. We're on Anuchayda sixty-two this evening. There's sixty-three Anuchaydas, and tonight's Anuchayda. Anocheda means section. Srila Jiva Goswami's approach is he he tries to deliver um, a philosophical point uh, by using some specific um, reference. Generally, that reference is a verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam or a few verses, like tonight. He's going to. Uh, Go to the Bhagavatam in uh, three or four verses, no, maybe more than that, uh, to, to give us a more depth understanding of the ten topics of the Bhagavatam. So if you look at the sheet, what Srila Jiva Goswami is doing here is he began by trying to bring us to a deeper understanding of that Supreme Personality by first looking inward at ourselves. He's done this, this will be the second time in the Tattva Sandarbha where he's done that. And he begins by, by looking at ourselves in relationship to that we ourselves are a Purusha of a sort, certain in a certain sense, we are a purusha. Uh, we create karma. So we do create something. <coughs> and also, so, and he did this all in relationship to, to our perceptions which are available in embodied selfhood. So, these perceptions are available to us through the cooperation of three Purushas, according to the Srimad Bhagavatam in the verse that Jiva Goswami uses for reference. And that verse specifically speaks of Adi Atmik, Adi Baltic, and Adi Daivik. Adi Atmik is ourselves. So we have consciousness and with the proper environment, that consciousness can perceive something. 
a proper environment for us at this point since time immemorial our perceptions have been based upon a filtering agent of the material senses. So everything that we have been receiving as far as cognitive uh, awareness since time immemorial has come to us through a filter of the material senses. So he's saying, let's look and let's try to understand something of the nature of the Supreme by looking at ourselves and looking at this, this very specific influence upon ourselves as a Purusha ourselves and the other two Purushas the other two Purushas being the sense devas. We have eyes, but without sunlight, we can't see. We have ears without the wind, without ether, without some carrier. There's no, there's no hearing. So, there's two. And then the third, which is a little difficult to understand, but it it goes to highlight our condition within material existence. And that is, we accept the body as our self. So therefore, in the Bhagavatam, in the verse quoted, the body itself is referred to as a purusha, because it is the seat for the physical senses. So the, the true senses are the cognitive of uh, the cogni cognitions coming in but they have to have a seat without an eye the vision doesn't work so we've looked in and he said when you look to that those purushas together all three of them together cooperate to give us what we know as well, anything, everything that we know, actually. Not what we know, everything we know. When these three cooperate, we can hear, we can see, we can taste, we can smell, we can feel. Any one of the three not being in the picture, the other two can't function. Except for that third, though, isn't it? Even when the physical seat of the senses is retired, the subtle senses go on and are carried to another physical seat. And also we have some recollection of cognitions during wakeful sleep, not deep sleep. We still have some, some recognition of sensual perception. It's a little garbled up most of the time. It's not a real true picture but it's still a cognition on the part of the of, of us who, who are conscious so therefore because these three adiatmic the atma adibautic the body and adidivic are interdependent none of those three can be the ultimate shelter. Therefore, they are not the ashraya. 
So now he says, we've looked at ourselves and our situation. Now let's look outside ourselves. And what better way to look outside ourselves for a deeper understanding of that absolute person than to look to what are the topics presented in the topmost Vedic literature, Srimad Bhagavatam. So he's going to finish up Tatmasandarva by looking at the second presentation in the Srimad Bhagavatam of the ten topics. And by understanding the nine topics that are sheltered by that tenth ashraya, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then we can have a deeper appreciation and understanding of Him. This will lead us, of course, into the Bhagavat Sandarbha, which is where Jiva Goswami begins to explain what God's all about, what He's like, by, by pulling the essence of the various tattvas regarding that Supreme Person from the pages of the Bhagavatam, from the slokas of the Bhagavatam. So, these ten topics of the Srimad Bhagavatam are presented in the Bhagavatam by both Sukadeva Goswami and Sutta Goswami. So, Sukadeva presented them at the end of the second canto, as these are the ten topics, and then he explained each individual topic. And then he, again in the twelfth canto, Sutta Goswami, he presents the same ten topics again. Now somebody, some could say that they aren't the same ten topics, that there's a little difference. But that great commentator on the Bhagavatam, Sridhar Swami, he went to great lengths in his commentary on the last presentation by Sutta Goswami to show that they are and they can be matched up. So we touched upon that as one of the sometimes misconceptions that people have regarding the topics of the Bhagavatam and the presentation of the Bhagavatam itself. So those we covered at pretty thoroughly in last class. Everybody understands the Bhagavatam topics are spread throughout the Bhagavatam. It's not one topic, then the next, then the next in a chronological sequence, but the whole Bhagavatam deals with these nine items, and the tenth, of course, being the Ashraya, that supreme shelter of everything. Also discounting that misconception that the first two cantos aren't part of the Bhagavatam because Sukadev doesn't start speaking to Maharaj Pariksit until the beginning of the third canto. Are they considered? There's a certain class that do not consider the first canto, the first two cantos, part of the thing for two reasons. One is Sukadev doesn't start speaking with Maharaj Pariksit and there's only ten topics so it should be presented in ten cantos. So, another misconception that, that Jiva Goswami dealt with in his Anachetas, the last Anacheta. 
So tonight we're going to go to Sutta Goswami. Sutta Goswami's present, presentation of these ten topics. That will be from the Bhagavatam 12.7.9. The sheet you have in front of you shows you the correlation between the topics as they appear in the two verses delineating them, the one by Sukadev Goswami to Maharaj Parikshit at the end of this, at the beginning of the last chapter of the second canto, and then in the twelfth canto by Sutta Goswami. So the words are a little different, but the topics are the same. That's, that's what we need to come away with. The words used in the two verses, the two slokas, represent the same ten topics. Also the presentation that an understanding that a major Purana, a major Purana, which Srimad Bhagavatam is, must address comprehensively all ten of these topics. So that's shown at the bottom of the sheet there, that a minor Purana only generally deals with five of them comprehensively. The others, of course, are mentioned because it couldn't be a, a full presentation. There's a major and a minor Purana there. So we're going to go to the 62nd Anucheta. Description of the first five topics intuitively signify the tenth. Description of the first nine topics, I'm sorry, intuitively signify the tenth, the Ashraya. Part one. This verse is from the 12th canto, 7th chapter, 11th verse. Now he's, now he's given, in the, in the 9th verse, the 10 items are listed. Sargo, Sharta, Visargas, Chavriti, Raksan, Taranicha, Vamso, Vamsa, Nucharitam, Samsta, Hetur, Apashraya. So his verse 11, Sutta Goswami speaking, and he's explaining Sarga, the preliminary creation. The primary creation, Sarga, refers to the destabilization of the neutralized gunas of unmanifest primordial nature, giving rise to the first evolute Mahat, from which evolve successively the threefold principles of individuation, becoming individualized. Ahankara, the I principle or ego, individuation. The subtle aspect of the element, sound and so on, the senses and the gross sense objects. So the first stage is sarga. Sarga. What happens? The Lord looks upon prakriti, or pradana, it's referred to both ways, and he impregnates that with those jivas who still have un fulfilled material desire. 
I like his wording because we get an idea that the the material energy, the unmanifested material energy, the Lord looks upon it and it's in a stable position. It's it's not doing anything. From the last annihilation, the gunas are no longer interacting. Gunas are neutralized in the state of dissolution. And all the jivas have what? They've entered into the Lord Sri Vishnu's body. So he looks. Some say he breathes. And the living entities go into that nature and it becomes activated and the three modes begin begin to interact. The same principle applies to us, to the human. So again, we can look in to look out. We can look in to understand what's out. If we look at a human being, if he's happy, if he's satisfied, if he's peaceful, if he's equal posed, then he generally doesn't engage in any activities. He's content. There's no cause to action to be equal posed, to be relaxed, like in yoga or meditation or on a couch watching TV. None of these things are calls to action. But a desire arises. And when the desire arises, then the senses start. If there's some stimulus, then, then we react to that. That stimulus for us, as Krishna states in the Bhagavad Gita, is what? We contemplate enjoying the senses. That's where it all begins. And once that contemplation begins, then there's action. So we can kind of see how the Lord desires... And this is an interesting point. Just consider what the Lord is set, setting the whole material universe into action to fulfill the desires of the living entities, those that latent karma that they didn't finish up in the last manifestation of the creation. But what also didn't finish up in that last manifestation of the creation was the spiritual lives of some of Krishna's devotees. So we could also say that that's a very, very significant factor in the Lord's, again, putting the living entities, the jivas, into material nature because there's devotees amongst them. And those devotees have some little bit of karma left but they still, they are devotees. So Krishna's giving them shelter in his external potency so that they can finish up their devotional lives. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is explaining the total material substance called Brahman. In this instance, the word Brahman is referring to Prakriti, not that spiritual substance, but that other material substance. They're both coming from the Lord, but in this instance, in this verse from the 
Bhagavad Gita, we should see the word Brahman as referring to Prakriti or Pradhana. The total material Pradhana, Brahman, is the source of birth. And it is that Brahman that I impregnate, making possible the births of all living beings, O son of Bart. We're going to walk through this just a little bit, because to get into it deeply, then we would have to pull out the discussion between Lord Kapila and his mother, Devahuti, and discuss the whole Sankhya philosophy. That would be more than our time will allow this evening. But let's just look at this initial Sarga, the first creation, in a very We'll just gloss it over a little bit. So the first uh, evolute, Mahatattva, um, can also, it is also in the, in the Bhagavatam referred to Chitta. So when we hear the word Chitta in the Bhagavatam, and there's a different, there's two different definitions of Chitta, depending on whether you're taking the Sankhya approach Sankhya Yoga approach of the evolutes of the elements that form the foundation for material existence, or are you looking at it from the the text itself of the Bhagavatam? Mahatattva can also that that substance, the Mahatattva, which is lying dormant and then is agitated and impregnated by jivas can be looked at and the first when that first agitation begins of pradana or prakriti whichever word you want to use the first thing to come out once the jivas go in once the jivas are impregnated the first manifestation of that destabilization is Mahatattva, Chitta. And a definition for that is cosmic intellect. Chitta, the faculty of pure intellection prior to the emergence of ego. Prior Prior to the emergence of ego, which is what? We take on the nature of the elements that we are associated with. Before that happens, the first thing that happens in the creation is this Mahatattva, this Chitta, which is a cosmic intelligence, becomes active. But it it does not have ego yet. False identification. Ahankar. This Chitta is the highest aspect of the human psyche. So this chitta will come back to us once we become free of any identification. The cosmic sight, yes? So each individual has this chitta. Yes, collectively, the collective jivas entering the material energy, the first thing that's generated is this cosmic intellect. This is just, this is all part of sarga. We can look at it also in this way, trans-egoic, 
transcendental to the ego, transegoic faculty of knowing, a way of knowing without the filter of false identification. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, in the third canto, there's a verse, the nature of chitta is, is given in this verse. Chitta is transparent, swacha, free of perturbation. Doesn't get perturbed. Okay. Not upset by anything. Right. Santa, peaceful. It's another. And locus for direct realization of Bhagavan. Bhagavatapadam. Direct realization. Is the chitta. Is, is where comes that come, it comes into play. We're able to play. do it through that. Yes. Conquering the ego. Got yes. It. Step one, so Mahatattva or Chitta comes out of that impregnation of the material energy and then the next stage of Sarga begins, Ahankar, with three aspects corresponding to the three Gunas. These three Ahankars stimulate further creation of certain aspects of the material manifestation. So I'm going to walk through those. The Vikarika Ahankar. That's Sattvic. So Vikarikar, Vikarika Ahankar produces general principles of individuation. General principles. Beingness. I am. I am. And also, at that time, the mind and the presiding deities begin to manifest. All this is happening, again, this is before Brahma comes in. So the administration hasn't come in. This is just things kind of gelling. The gestation of creating what will be the elements that will give Brahma the ingredients to place those jivas in material bodies. The next ahankara, the rasik, taijasa ahankar, rasika ego, force produces both conscious and unconscious capabilities, dynamicism, intellect in the ten senses, Okay, so a little bit of, of passion, and from that passion comes dynam dynamicism. Things become dynamic, and the intellect, material intellect, booty, as opposed to chitta, booty, difference, how to interpret things. This will come up a little bit later. And the ten senses. Bhutadi Akhankar, Tamasika ego. Now we're talking, now things are becoming a little bit more coagulated with the mode of the ego in the mode of inertia. And we have inert things, mm -hmm. elements. 
the five ton mantras, sight, sounds, smells, tastes, and the five material elements. All those things, subtle and gross, earth, water, fire, air, ether, and then that whole... I'm not going to go into Sankhya tonight. We're just going to touch upon the 26 elements. And if you want to study it, go to that discussion with Kapila. I'm going to stick with the, probably the Tatsandarva. Understand that in the language of the Bhagavatam, when we hear this, there is a distinction when we hear the, the word Chitta and the word Bhuti. When we're discussing Sankhya philosophy in the language of that philosophy, Chitta is referred to as Bhuti. So just, well, it's not backwards because they Sankhya philosophy refers to both Chitta and Bhuti and equates the two terms. As being equal? Yes. I see. Whereas Bhagavatam Bhagavat philosophy, the way it's presented, when we look to chitta, we look to that non-egoic purified intelligence, purified intelligence mm-hmm. and... Okay. That's what I learned, and I had a question about it, and you just answered it. Thank you. Booty is when there is ascertainment of the nature of objects presented to our awareness, and it helps the senses perceive objects because we have prior impressions. So the booty goes to the storehouse of impressions and says, it looks like a cow. It has horns, it has four legs, it has an udder, gives milk, must be a cow. So the booty is is going into that prior storehouse of impressions and it's arriving at a conclusion from the cognition that the senses are pre- presenting mm. to the consciousness. From previous life? Yeah, well, from previous life, from this life. In this life, uh, the booty has to be affected by this life. If you're born in the, in, if you're born in one culture, it's not going to be a cow. It's going to be a, whatever the word for a cow is in Chinese or <laughs> a Thai or, you know, so... Yeah. The booty is that filtering. It's it's putting it into a way where the mind, the intellect can grasp it. So the senses are providing some cognition to us of the world and we are filtering it through impressions. Probably those impressions are those called samskaras? Yes, that's... Okay. Yeah. So Srimad Bhagavatam thus makes a distinction between chitta and booty Whereas Sankhya ontology does not make that. Sometimes you'll hear somebody referred to it. Yes, sir. Um, wait, so the impressions are stored? They're not stored in the chitta? In the booty? Well, they are stored. They, The impressions are there. Yes, since time immemorial, there are impressions. Mm-hmm. That would be in the chitta and from prior lives. If you had an unfulfilled, if you had unfulfilled seed for a seed of desire, then that's going to, that's the whole that's the whole reason for the material creation. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's it's there. But when we're in cognitive awareness within the material realm, then the booty the booty is the filtering agent 
that allows you to to say that's a cow. I want this or what you know. Does that make sense? And those are the subtle impressions and that and the subtle body that we take with us. The booty is helping us. Yeah. Because the the chit is pure, kind of like pure consciousness, but it's also the storehouse of like impressions. It's pure, but it's pure when when it's inactive. It's that consciousness, that intellect, before it goes through the filter of a hunkar. Once we go into the filtered stage of existence, which is material life, then it's that same consciousness filtered is booty. So discussion of sankhya. Let's just t- yes. And the mind, the mind is the. What does the mind do again? It's just like. Well, that's coming up. Manas. They'll get to it. The mind, yes, it doesn't. The discussion tonight's not going to go deeply into the mind. The mind is also a, a filtering agent. I would say that that's probably what, when we look at the mind, acceptance and rejection. Whereas booty is is giving you something to say yes or no to. The mind is actually making the decision. I want that. I don't want that. That's hot. That's cold. I like that. No, I'm not going to eat that. So the mind is the is the false decision maker until you pull it under control and you tell it what you want. In the meantime, it tells you what it wants. So let's talk quickly Sankhya. Sankhya generally has 26 items. Very quickly, as you know, Sankhya philosophy tells us how from subtle to gross, from one element to the to the next, the entire material manifestation takes place. This all falls again under sarga. Let's go over the 26 items. Mahatattva or chitta, after pradana has become agitated. Ahankar, manas, the mind, the determining agent, determining our actions, or pulling us. Sometimes we're determining, sometimes it's determining. And booty, that intelligence that helps us figure out what's what. We have the cognitive senses, conative senses, outward senses, working senses, five. Speaking, grasping, walking, excreting and procreating. We have the cognitive senses. Hearing, touching, seeing, tasting, smelling. We have the gross elements. Earth, water, fire and ether. Also known as as the Mahabhutas. And we have the subtle elements. Sound, tactility, form, taste, smell also known as Tan Mantras. Those are the 24 elements. We add to that the Jiva. We have 25, and we add Paramatma, and we have the 26 elements that comprise the Sankhya philosophy. Of course, Sankhya philosophy is is looked at in different ways by many different schools of thought, 
So the number and the what's included and not included can vary from one school to the other. Specifically, Lord Kapiladev in his presentation in the Srimad Bhagavatam deals with these 26 items. And you may say, where is time? Well, time is a potency of Paramatma, so it is not looked at separately. That's Sarga. Visarga. Text 12 from the 7th chapter of the 12th canto. Sutta Goswami continues. The secondary creation, Visarga, refers to this aggregate of the world of both moving and non-moving beings. Visarga, the secondary creation, which stream forth like the emergence of one seed from another. This aggregate is derived from the totality of all these evolutes of primordial nature. Beginning with Mahat, the cosmic wisdom principle, which has been uh, facilitated, graced by the primordial person, Purusha, and brought forth in accordance with the unconscious complex of desires of the living beings. What's it mean in simple English without breaking apart even the English translation of this sloka? Let's just take a cursory view of the verse, what it's saying. The Purusha referred to in the verse, verse is Paramatma. So there's an incessant streaming forth of moving and non-moving beings. Well, that makes sense. They're coming one body after the next in 8,400,000 different species. And within each species, so many varieties. Brother, and that's in the expense of all the material energy of all the worlds? Or just this one? No, the, all the material creations so are... All of them together, there's 8,400,000 species? Okay. No, in each in each, in each each universe. Oh, in each universe. Okay, that's, that's the, interesting. That's the... Oh, thank you. I was wondering about that. So, manifest evolutes brought forth primarily by the living beings' past desires for action. Where's this word evolutes? Evolution, evolving, manifest evolution, like this, the body is, it's, yeah, it's coming evolution. through material nature, yeah. and a tree's body is coming. But there's also evolutes of the material elements, the sky, and, and elements, evolutes of energies within the material universe controlled by the devas, like the sun god is, is in charge of providing heat and light in the universe. So when we say evolutes, we mean those things that evolve from that which was unevolved. It was in a dormant state, and then these things are coming. Again, we're confronted with a current Acharya who is pushing the English, English language to its, to its very limit. And 
when the words aren't there, they make them up. But they work. I can't even pronounce some of them, so you have to excuse me. That's the next thing. The Mahabhutas are further combined by the process of Panchi Karana. Quintuplication. Quintuplets. And here, what the author does is he explains that really one element is that one element, half of it's that one element, and the other half is one quarter of the other elements. Mm -hmm. Quintuplication. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't go deeper in that. That's a footnote. He's arrived at this wording from studying some other Purana and seeing how the specific material elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether, are manifest. They come into being by this administration of the universe. So Brahma creates the bodies for the myriad of living entities per their stored up karmic impressions from their previous lives. Not only does he make bodies for those jivas who have stored up impressions, he also has some self-born <coughs> sons coming from him directly, just like he was self-born from Garbo Daksha Vishnu. Atri, Vasista, Daksha, Manu, and others. Some of his sons are also the Prajapatis, the progenitors, whose offspring populate the universe. The secondary creation can be wrapped up in this simple phrase. The seeds of this creative process are the living entity's fruit-bearing activities. The jiva's activities create the material atmosphere. Brahma gives rise to bodies that allow us to fulfill that unstored potential of reaction, either good or bad. The third item, sustenance. I'll just quote one verse. Just make go through this one quick, quickly. This is after... Dhritarashtra had left home when Vidura had said, what are you doing living like a dog in the house of your <laughs> in the house of your enemy <laughs> uh, you look at you, your, your senses are failing, you need to make a change in, in order to get out of this place without without the worst of reactions so Vidura spoke with him and Dhritarashtra took it to heart and he went off to the Himalayas. And Yudhisthira came back home and there's no Dhritarashtra. His wife was Gandhari, mm -hmm. right? So she was also not there. And Vidura had left. And Dhritarashtra's like heartbroken. Where, where? These are, these are, you can imagine, three family members, old and feeble mm -hmm. in his eyes, have, they disappeared. The Call the police. Let's go out and get a search party. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. And what Narada say, well, actually, Dhritarashtra's not only going to make it another five days. You'll never get to the Himalayas in time. 
and his wife is going to go into the fire when he leaves. Mm -hmm. So there's no use going trying to save her, although you'd like to bring her back and give her shelter for the rest of her life. She's not going to be there to give shelter to by the time you arrive. And Vidura, Vidura is going to, uh, he's going to go to holy places. You'll never find him. He's renounced the world. He's a sannyasi. He has no position in society. So how will you ever locate him in that society of man? Sustenance. Ahastani suhastanam. Apadani chatuspadam. Palguni tatra mahatim tam. Jivo jivasya jivanam. One living entity is food for the sustenance the sustenance, riti, of another. So within this material universe, sustenance is hand, handled by you consuming somebody else, or they consuming you. Now, in when we look to sustenance, it is only in the human form of life where we can use discrimination, either the discrimination of the senses, or the discrimination of Shastra to determine what that sustenance will be. And if our determination is based simply on the senses, then there's every likelihood that we will go downward to the lower species whom we are consuming. And if we follow the Shastra, there's every likelihood that we will continue to advance. Mm -hmm. Since we've made it to human life, if we can follow Shastra to Shastra to determine what our sustenance should be, then we can advance. So we've covered half of this particular Anucheda, and uh, I guess there will be two more classes. So are there any questions? Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Vanchakopakubhishcha. Krippasindabhivishcha. Patitanam.